Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and today's guest is the designer, Kendra Scott. In this episode, we discuss how she built her brand into a $1 billion business through a combined wholesale and direct-to-consumer strategy, her in-store approach, and how she keeps focused in the jewelry category. Hope you enjoy. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course, thank you for coming in. So so let's go back to, to the beginning of your brand. What was the retail landscape like when you when you launched it? You know, I started in 2002 mm-hmm. out of the extra bedroom of my house with $500 and a dream. <laughs> um, and initially was just selling to other retailers. Mm-hmm. And I had been in retail prior to that and I was terrified to get back into retail. Mm-hmm. Retail can be very scary. Yes. Um, and didn't open my first Kendra Scott retail store until really right around the recession. So mm-hmm. 2009 is when we were developing it and opened in 2010. And literally at that time, I mean, stores were shuttering all around me. Um, it was, you know, everyone's like, Kendra, what are you doing <laughs> opening retail right now in the recession? And so it was kind of a scary environment. But what's amazing is our brand really succeeded in those kind of unsettling waters because we had beautiful quality products and an attainable price. Mm-hmm. And so coming in during that time, people were looking for value and looking for high quality um, that they could afford. And so our brand really skyrocketed from that first retail store to today. So tell us, what were you doing in retail before you launched the brand? What what experience did you have? And you mentioned it can be a very scary industry. Yes. How did you prepare yourself to start your own business? So my first business I actually started when I was 19, and it was a hat company. Mm-hmm. Um, my stepfather passed away from brain cancer, oh, and sorry. I had met a lot of amazing women during that time that were fighting uh, for their lives and going through chemotherapy, and I had loved fashion since I was a little girl. And so I started designing headwear, comfortable headwear options for these women, and it launched my first company called The Hat Box mm-hmm. uh, in Austin, and I had a little retail store we had a changing room in the back where women could come and try on in privacy. Um, but I sold every hat. I did hats for weddings and Kentucky Derby. I mean, you name it. If you needed a hat, I had it. And I was determined that I was going to have hat stores all over the United States. That mm-hmm. was going to be my big dream. And working in that little store seven days a week, you know, from open to close, nothing I did was going to change the world and like have them all, all, all start wearing hats again. Like it was 1940. That right. was my dream. Um, <laughs> And so after five years of trying to make that work, I had to close my first business. Mm -hmm. And it was so devastating. Uh, You know, at that point, I had also lost my stepfather. So it really was like this incredible failure. But at the same time, it was not knowing it. It was the best education I could have ever gotten to set me up for what the future was holding. And and that was Kendra Scott Jewelry. Right. Absolutely. And and where were you in between then, um, that that brand. Yeah. So brand. I worked for a, a magazine, actually. Mm-hmm. I worked for Destination Weddings and Honeymoons magazine. I wrote articles. I uh, negotiated travel deals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you name it. But the whole time when I was working there, I would be sketching ideas of jewelry. I love jewelry design. And I was making a lot of jewelry for friends and family, for gifts. I loved semi-precious stones. And I couldn't find the jewelry that I wanted that I could afford. Mm-hmm. And it really was kind of the lead in to to 
opening my own, uh, starting again, trying again to start my own thing. Right. And you mentioned when you started, you were just selling through um, other retailers as a wholesale brand, but that was pretty normal at the time. Um, brands, you might've had your own stores, but when you only when you reached a certain level, it, it was much more normal and, and just par for the course for a brand to start that way through those department store and, and other retailer partnerships. And so when did you realize that it was time to start your own stores and what did you, what were you able to learn about your brand in the time that you were selling only wholesale? You know, I think one thing that I, I missed so much from having the hat store was that human touch to be able to really connect with your customer in a meaningful way and to find out, I wanted to know what she wanted more of. I wanted to hear what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And when you're selling through other retailers, you're not on the floor actually selling it. Mm-hmm. You know, they write the order, you ship the product, and then you leave it up to them to sell it. And I really wanted to get back to that ability to learn from my customer. And so our first store in Austin really was designed to do just that. It was a laboratory. It was an opportunity for myself and my team to go down and engage with our customer and learn from her. We had no idea that we would then be opening now stores all across the country and even here in New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, It really was more of a let's learn and see what happens. But if we were going to do it, we had to do it our own unique way. We had to color outside the lines. We had to not be afraid to be disruptive. We didn't want to be your typical jewelry store experience. And we did everything differently. Case There was no cases that the, the jewelry was hidden underneath. Uh-huh. Uh, there, you, know, you could touch and feel it freely. There was a color bar where you could sit at the bar and drink champagne and watch your piece come to life in front of you where you mm-hmm. pick the stones and the frame. We really made it this engaging, fun experience. What happened was that we had lines around the block waiting for people to come in. Um, And we realized, okay, well, maybe we've got something here. Mm -hmm. So, and that's everything that you hear about retail today. It has to be an experience. You have to give people a reason to come in. When when did e-commerce come into the picture for for you guys as like your direct Really, right right around the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, so we started our e-commerce site before we opened our first retail store. Within probably, I would say, six to eight months prior to that, we had a site that was more informational, but we really put the, you know, retail site on. We created Color Bar, which was this create your own jewelry. Again, one of the very first you know, companies to be doing this kind of customization tool online in 2010. Right. Uh, and where you could literally go on and get it on your doorstep the next day was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And so we launched that before we opened our first retail store and then was able to bring the, that digital experience to life uh, in our store. And that's when the magic happened. Right. And, and, and you've opened many stores since. And like you said, you're in New York now. Uh, the store just opened yes. at the beginning of September uh, yesterday at the time of this recording. <laughs> yes. um, so why, how did you make that, that move? And how did you decide where to open these stores? Um, you know, what, what customer information did you use to make that decision? Yeah. You know, we are fortunate because we do have such great wholesale partners with Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's. And so over the years, we've been able to really build a really strong customer base through these amazing wholesale partners, mm-hmm. but then we could also use our e-commerce. And so we can know exactly where customers were coming from. And when those two things started to align, where we saw a rise in customer base from our retail wholesalers and and from our e-commerce site, that's when I knew, okay, those things are aligning. We want to go where our customers are. It wasn't always the vanity locations that you see a lot of brands do. Mm-hmm. We were going, you know, in Houston and Dallas and in Oklahoma City, in markets that some brands may not think, oh, that's like, you know, I want to be here. Mm-hmm. But we went to where our customers were and we were building stores that were creating excitement and an incredible loyal following. And those stores had amazing success. Mm-hmm. Some of our stores were paying themselves back in three months. Wow. 
And did you see uh, those other channels uh, lift in sales for those as well, your e-commerce site and the wholesale? Yeah, you know, it's amazing because at first our wholesale partners were like, whoa, you're, you know, you're going to be opening nearby one of our stores. Mm -hmm. Well, they would see, you know, in some cases, 30 or 40% lift in their sales. Uh, We've got one store that is down the, like five stores down from one of our biggest retail partners and all of our business went up incredibly. So, you know, I think that excitement, enthusiasm for the brand, customers shop where they are Mm -hmm. and when they can be connected to a brand in such a visceral way and such a like, you know, uh, almost like a cult-like following. I mean, they, you know, we have our customers are so loyal to our brand. They'll buy it wherever they are. Mm -hmm. And do you think that there's like a recipe for for a retail strategy today as a brand? Uh, We hear so much about you know, brands that start online and then maybe they'll start to open pop-ups. And now it seems that the brands that, that started online are saying, and you know, as a direct to consumer brand, maybe we do need wholesale relationships for that mm-hmm. discovery element. How do you, how do you look at it? If you were to line up the different um, components of, of a successful retail strategy, what, what does it have to be? And then how do they work together? You know, I think first of all, your brand has to be authentic. Mm-hmm. It has to have heart. People uh, today can just see through, there's no more, you know, kind of, uh, what happens in the back room, like everything is visible, right? Through social media, through everything that we're doing. So I think that if you start with a genuine, authentic heart, that you really have a brand story that is meaningful to people, um, it's got to be real because people can smell out a fake in an an instant. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. A brand needs to also be looking for what are we going to do that's going to create excitement? How are we going to surprise and delight our customers every day? Just playing a playbook for, okay, this where brand A did this, and so this is, there really isn't a playbook anymore. I Mm -hmm. think it is really what works for your brand, but how do you keep that authentic voice and how do you communicate with your customers, whether that's in a wholesale environment, whether that's in your own retail stores, or whether that's in e-commerce, how are you communicating with her daily to understand what she needs and wants? Right. And and how big of a role is the customer playing in your business and the decisions you're making now? And was that is it the same case that it's always been since you started the brand? She's my boss. Yeah, <laughs> she's my boss. I believe it. Uh, the customer runs my business. I, every single day, I come in and I think customer first. Customer first. What does she need today? How can I surprise and delight her? What can I do to wow her? Where are there things in her life that she's not getting? Um, we all have that mentality at Kendra Scott. We're never satisfied. Every store I open, I want it better than the one we opened before. Every collection, I want it to be more exciting for her. Um, every decision I make, I put my customer first. She is my boss. Mm-hmm. And as as a brand owner, like, where is there a line between what is informed by data and what has to be, you know, a, a generated decision from the brand? Like, how do you push the envelope forward while still listening to customers? Because I, I I assume that you know, if you lean too heavily into the data, you might end up in a rut a little bit creatively. But right. how do you balance the two and, and forecast a little bit and and think, okay, the customer may not know that she wants this right now, mm-hmm. but, but she will. Yeah. I mean, I think there's got to be a little bit of both, right? I, you know, there's the brain and the heart mm-hmm. and somehow you have to bridge the gap between the two. The data is the brain, right? You want to understand the data. You want to understand what she's buying, where she's buying it, understand what she's doing in her life so that we can talk to her. But all of those things that we use for data points are so that we can have a more intimate conversation with her as a customer. Right. And then I think the heart is 
is that, you know, that constant communication. I spend a lot of time on our retail floors still. I love being on the floor. Mm -hmm. I love talking to our customer. I want to learn the things that we can do to make a better experience for her. And I think we also empower our teams to do that. Uh, Every single employee, Kendra Scott, every, if you go into our retail stores, you'll feel this. They have the power to please. Whether they're part-time, holiday help, they don't have to ask a manager for approval. In that moment, they can please a customer and make her happy. And that is a really amazing thing when you give your people that ability to do that. So I think, you know, respect and respect your customer and give her something that she can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I think the the store employee um, uh, asset is a is a really important one that that I, I think retailers, huge retailers are realizing that maybe they overlooked for a long time yeah. because that's the edge that that these brands and, and retailers have over something like yeah. Amazon that's that's you know at an arm's length from their customer what do you do to make them feel that they are a, a bigger part of the business than just a part-time employee our core values are fashion family and philanthropy their family is is everything at Kendra Scott we refer to each other as family members we're KS family members we're each other's sisters we treat each other with kindness uh, we have each other's back if you go into a Kendra Scott store you will feel that we are excited for each other when somebody succeeds we all hooray when somebody is pregnant um, or getting engaged I and mean, we really it's an incredible incredible sisterhood mm-hmm. and we're giving opportunity to these women to do something in their lives that's anything is possible that you can have a great career and that you can be a mom too. And you're working for a company that believes in those core values. The founder and CEO is a mother of three boys and she is running this fashion brand. Um, you know, we, we lead by example at Kendra Scott. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked in retail in high school and college and I remember going into the back rooms and it was like this dusty, dirty, dark, scary place where we'd eat like our lunch on a overturned bucket, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And I said, gosh, you know, here are your employees value them like we're the ones on the floor giving our hearts and soul every day you walk into a Kendra Scott back room it is the green room it is like beautiful and hardwood floors and in a place where they can relax and hang out I wanted it just as beautiful in the back as it is in the front Mm -hmm. our distribution center is the same way and I think that's important when you treat your customers with or treat your employees with love and kindness and respect amazing things can happen Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a big part of it is opening up the the flow of communication. A lot of times people yes. on that level don't really think that they have much um, say in, in terms of what happens at, at the headquarters. So especially as we're looking into customer data, yeah. they're the ones interacting with the customers on a regular basis. How did you build that into your store strategy, making sure that the employees have a way to relay what they're hearing back? Their voice is so important to me, to, to our design team, to everybody. And so it's constantly that you know communication. We have a Kendra net where everybody can get on and learn about new things. We can also share best practices or experiences that we have. We have a Kendra Scott scoop that we send out once a month that, again, is sharing the things that we talked about with all employees from engagements and new Mm -hmm. baby announcements to what we're doing from a give back perspective with philanthropy. We believe in open book management. We share our numbers. We share our goals together. We all have an aligned vision. We know where we're going. And it's like all of us joining hands together and really just leading that charge. It's incredible what, you know, when that happens, Mm -hmm. when everybody has an aligned vision together. Right. And are part of it. I mean, yeah. we all have a part of it. 
And the store formats, have they evolved since you opened the first one um, in 2009? Uh, you mentioned a few things that are part of the New York store that just opened. Um, how have you paid attention to what customers want out of the store experience, maybe in terms of buy, like a little less exciting things, but like buy yeah. online, pick up in store, like just little touches like that that show like, okay, it doesn't matter where you buy, but here's the store if you want to come in. Absolutely. I think we're always improving that. You know, we um, are looking at, you know, our competitive landscape daily and saying we don't want to just be doing what they're doing. We want to far exceed that experience for our customers. I think one of the ways we do that is really getting out into the community on a local level. Every single one of our stores has an in-house community outreach manager, and her sole duty is to go out into the community, work with nonprofits in the community, creating events within our store, and that is a really special thing to do and very, very different than any other retailer that I know Mm -hmm. that dedicates. I mean, now we'll have 90 field people just dedicated to getting out in our community and making a difference in those communities. I think for a brand, for us, is we are connected to our community in such a unique way than any other brand I've ever seen. How is that? First of all, we don't say no. Uh, we have an open heart and we have an open mind at Kendra Scott. And so if somebody calls us and they have, you know, a friend in need or they're a nonprofit that needs support, we will figure out a way to support them. Mm-hmm. I started that out of the extra bedroom of my house. I decided if anybody called, I wouldn't turn them away. I could make a necklace. I could make a pair of earrings. Here we are 16 years later. We've given over $25 million since 2010 to over 10,000 women's and children's organizations across the country. Mm-hmm. That is what I'm most proud of. Yeah, that's great and so as your and I think those things have been almost more increasingly important uh like you mentioned having a brand story having a way to connect with customers um and that philanthropy element do you think it's become more competitive um as a as a brand today uh just to break through the noise and and how do you go about that you know it's again it's just been part of who I was and who the brand was from the very very beginning you know I think after losing my stepfather to cancer I realized that we have a really short time on this earth Mm -hmm. and I wanted to create a brand that did something good that could make a positive impact that would be success for me and if I could be an awesome mom to my children in the process that that would be success and that was really the driving force the fire inside my belly to do something different uh, to build a fashion brand out of Austin Texas when everybody said that wasn't possible to be able to bring your kids to work and have nursing rooms and you know a child's room that won't be productive yet we're one of the most leading companies in retail mm-hmm. so all those things that we were told we couldn't do we've done and we haven't been afraid to go against the grain right and and so as you are like do you look and see that there's more pressure today as a as a brand as a founder to move faster to uh post more to talk more about the brand and and just to do more at the same time and 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 if so how do you deal with that pressure you know i think i try to not look at it as pressure but more Mm -hmm. as opportunity Mm -hmm. i think the more opportunities i get to communicate with my customer is fantastic when i started 16 years ago we didn't have the social media like we have today the fact that i can instantly hear from her and find out what she's excited about or what she's upset about and i can instantly do something to fix a problem or to continue to make her happy that is incredible And I think that to me is a huge opportunity. So any of these platforms that allow business owners like myself or fashion brands to be able to have that connection to their customer, to me, it's not pressure. It's just like, wow, this is a great way that we can continue to get more information. And how have you grown the team to to account for for the changes that have that have happened to the fashion industry. You know, I, again, I think part of it's been unique because 
I didn't go to FIT. I'm a college dropout. Mm. I self-taught myself how to make jewelry. So I didn't know a lot of the rules, right? Um, But what I did know is I knew what I was good at, but more importantly, I knew what I was bad at Mm -hmm. and that I needed help with. And I created a team of people that were amazing at the things that I was not good at. Mm -hmm. And I think really, you know, identifying that early on to say, hey, these are the things that I'm going to need help with. And not being afraid to ask for help and to call up people that I admire. I will never forget in 2005 working with Oscar de la Renta. And I was, you know, so excited because he gave me an opportunity to jewelry for his show. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had the chance to visit with him and I thought, oh my God, you know, this is the God. I mean, this is like Oscar de la Renta, right? Uh And I said, you know, hey, I just had a quick question. Like if you were me in my shoes, you know, what would you do? And I started talking to him an hour and 20 minutes later, Mr. de la Renta was still talking to me Mm -hmm. and he was the most kind and gracious person you could have ever imagined. And I thought, you know what? Don't be afraid to ask. And I think those are the kind of things that have helped guided me in, you know, in the early days and still today. Right, as the team has grown. Yeah. Uh, and as you look ahead, I, you know, it's, it's, it's positive. The business is you're opening stores quickly. You're doing things that like a wholesale, we've watched other wholesale brands really struggle yeah. to do. What part of that is due to just focus? Um, it, you know, it's, it's a jewelry brand mm-hmm. that, that you started as a jewelry brand. And I think we see so many brands want to be way more than, than what they started out to be. And, and right. while, you know, you start making handbags, you start making sunglasses, you know, there's more money to be made. You're making more products, but at the same time, your customer might be like, oh, that's not what I was going to them for. Exactly. How do you, how do you keep focused while still I think growing? That's a really great thing that you're talking about. Cause I agree with you a thousand percent. One, we are a jewelry brand and I love jewelry design. So anything I do has to come from a jewelry designer's aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and any category that we may even consider going into would have to be from a jewelry designer's pers- aesthetic. And there would have to be a reason for being. There would have to be white space that we're filling. We'd have to be giving her something that she couldn't get anywhere else and doing it in our own unique way. Otherwise, I'm not interested in doing it. In addition to that, we'd want to be able to give her value. And so with our jewelry line, it's all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been really thoughtful and careful. We have so much that we can still do in our core category, which is jewelry. And yes, it's fun to kind of look at the next shiny thing and object out there, but we're being really thoughtful about it. And we're going to take our time. We're going to do it right. We're not just going to put our name on products for the sake of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've done this kind of slow and steady wins the race. And again, if, if there's something that she's screaming for that we can do in a really fresh and exciting way, of course I would look at it. But I agree with you. Like, we've got a lot we want to do still in jewelry. Right. And do you think, to, to speak to the slow and steady um, uh, outlook for growth, do you think if you were to have started the brand 10, 15 years after you did in the past few years, is there more pressure for brands that are brand new to grow a lot faster and look for that next round of funding and, and set right. themselves up for goals that may not actually be realistic? I think it's tough. You know, I mean, I, I started my business in a recession, um, which isn't exactly the ideal time mm-hmm. uh, to start a business. I started it right after 9-11. The world was a very uncertain place when I started. I was a new mother. Um, you know, it, I mean, it was a lot of things up against me. So I don't know if it's always about the time 
timing. Mm-hmm. I think it's about having the drive, uh, the tenacity um, to really want to do something that is special. And, and, you know, I think my family drove that for me. But, you know, no matter what time you start, if you're starting it then, if you're starting it today, I think it's, again, being thoughtful. Think about the partners that you bring in, mm-hmm. why you're bringing them in. You don't have to achieve everything tomorrow. Um, you know, for me, it was small successes along the way. Being able to pay my rent. I was a single mom for many years mm-hmm. um, running this business as well with a one and three-year-old. There were small goals that I was <laughs> achieving. I wasn't trying to become a billion-dollar brand out of the box. Mm-hmm. But as things started to grow, I started to see, wow, there could be something bigger here. Mm-hmm. There could be opportunity. And I think don't be afraid to take your time. It's okay to go a little bit slower. You don't have to be you know, the, under the 30, 30 and 30 list, right. and all these things <laughs> that are so competitive for people today. I think just be in your moment, do a great job, build incredible products and they will come and give amazing customer service. Put mm-hmm. the customer first, focus on those things and your growth will happen. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And is there anything about the current um, landscape for, for fashion, for retail that, that worries you? I feel like there's a lot of doom and gloom. Like how is Amazon going to right. just eradicate the need for a brand and, and erase brand loyalty? And where do you, where do you, when you look ahead, if there were, if there was anything that could keep you up at night, what would it be? You know, I mean, I'm a mother of three boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's 16 years old. So if anything's keeping me up these days, it's him driving a car. <laughs> um, but, you know, honestly, in business, I think there, you know, yes, there's a lot of doom and gloom, but we're opening to an average 20 stores a year right now. Mm-hmm. We're not opening them because we think it's fun to open stores. We're opening them because they're successful mm-hmm. and that we're having great success in retail and we're connecting with our customers in a really meaningful way. I think Amazon and some of these things that are happening, it's exciting for retail. It's making us kind of get on our toes and pay attention. What do we have to do today so that we can compete? I don't underestimate the fact that customers still need a human touch. Mm -hmm. They still want to have an experience. They still want to go places with their girlfriends and their daughters and and have experiences. Mm -hmm. I don't care what happens with the digital world. That will never change. And retailers need to step up and realize what can we do to make those experiences more meaningful for our customers. Right. And, And I'm sure you've worked firsthand with department stores like the 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 big box retailers that kind of maybe were on autopilot and and this might have you know made them pay attention to where the customer is headed and what actually goes into a good experience and from a brand perspective that you know you have a you have a big um direct business now but you still have the the wholesale partnerships. Um, How has that changed the way you work with with those retailers? You know, I think it's been an interesting, you know, over the last 16 years, a lot of changes. And you're right, there has been, there was for a long time, this is how we do business. This is how we're going to continue to do business. Mm -hmm. I think what's exciting is now everybody is, hey, you know, let's, Let's try something new. Let's not be afraid to do something that might be a little out of the box or or a new way of thinking. And I think that's exciting. The conversations I'm having with some of the leads of these amazing department stores is how can we be creative? How can we bring what we're doing in my retail stores into the wholesale environment? Mm-hmm. You know, we're creating more shop and shops within stores now with bringing our color bar in and letting the customer interact so she can get a little bit of that flavor um, and working with partners that aren't afraid to say. Like, let's be innovative and let's look forward to tomorrow. Um, not keep looking backwards, but let's look forward. Right. And and so we're almost out of time. But just to wrap up, if you were to just think about like, what, what's a big opportunity that you feel you haven't touched yet, but but could be really interesting for, for your brand? What are you looking at on the table? Well, you know, I think first opening New York, it's, it's such an exciting 
thing for us because this is a gateway to so many other places in the world Mm -hmm. uh, to be here in New York City. So we're so excited to have our store here. But I do think that international is exciting. You know, we opened our first shop and shop in Selfridges in London Mm -hmm. this past year. Um, You know, I think that our brand can bring a lot of excitement to to new places as well. We still have a lot of of things we want to do here in the United States, but I really do see international expansion on the horizon for us. And it's exciting. Right. I think a lot of brands are looking ahead at, at global opportunities. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. Thank well, you. Thank you so much, Kendra. I really enjoyed it. I did too. It was so fun. Thank I, you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Special thanks to Gianna Capadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying this podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code podcast at glossy.co slash plus to get 20% off an annual subscription. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.